in communities large and small all over this land. People are celebrating Independence Day. It will be and is being observed in a variety of ways. Some folks are going to display the flag. Some are going to have fireworks. Some are going to stay at home with family and friends and cook copious amounts of meat over an open flame. Some will attend sporting events and a few will offer up prayers of thanksgiving. Prayers of thanksgiving for those who've suffered, those who sacrificed, those who gave everything for us to be able to live here. In a land that has always in the past been referred to as the land of the free and the home of the brave. A land where at least for the present, we might enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and be able to worship without fear of government interference. The 4th of July is one of the supreme days in our national life and on our national calendar. Because it was on this date in 1776 Thirteen colonies issued their unanimous Declaration of Independence from Great Britain. There were many reasons the Founding Fathers resorted to this courageous and perilous action that they took. Because of the many abuses that they'd suffered. And because of a deep desire for a better form of government. They formulated their now famous Declaration of Independence, which included these memorable words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So at the very beginning this morning, let's have an understanding in case you haven't heard me over the last 20 years. I love America. And I make absolutely no apology for doing so. But just because I love America does not mean that I have to like the direction that America is taking. I believe firmly that terrorism is a great threat to our country. But I do not believe that terrorism in the form of radical Islam is our greatest threat in America today. I'm well aware we have some very, very powerful enemies throughout this world. But beloved, the most powerful enemies of our nation are within our nation. And the problems we face as Americans today are problems with both international and domestic implications. There is hardly an American home today where separation and heartache are unknown. And we have racial unrest, we have class warfare, we have emotional instability, and we have economic uncertainty. 
And we have a government that's riddled with protocol, clogged with bureaucracy, and filled with corruption. And through tear-dimmed eyes, there are a lot of Americans wondering, what does the future hold? Loving America? Does that mean that I think America is perfect? No. But perfection is not a prerequisite for me to love my country. Perfection is never a prerequisite for love. And I'm thankful for that every day. God loves me. Though I'm far from perfect. And before you get too smug, you're not perfect either, but God loves you too. If those demanding perfection from America today, if they ever find a perfect country, I hope they don't choose to go there. For the minute they step foot there, that country will no longer be perfect. I love America. I love the flag. I love the songs we sing. I love the poems we say. And there are a lot of people that fear that our nation has begun to decline from its former greatness. They fear that there is a fatal malady in the vital organs of our government and society. A malady or disease that's going to destroy the values that made our nation so great. And I will confess to you right now, I am one of those who is afraid for America. Because America is suffering from a disease. And that disease is that God has been removed as a guiding force in our nation. The greatest need of America today is not a $15 an hour minimum wage. And the greatest need for America today is not universal health care. The greatest need for America in the 21st century is to have the God of heaven enshrined in the hearts of men and women in America today. Let's be honest. We've tried everything else. We have pursued pleasure until we spend more on entertainment than any other nation. And we have sought knowledge to the point that we're too smart for our own good. We've put men on the moon and we've done all kinds of great things. We have chased wealth until we have the per capita highest income of any nation on the earth. Are you listening? It is only as America turns to God that she will find lasting satisfaction and security. If you have some really old money laying around, you'll find some old paper money that actually says this certificate is backed by gold on deposit with the U.S. Treasury. But many years ago, almost a century ago now, America went off the gold standard. But beloved, going off the gold standard is not near the problem for America that going off the God standard has been. There's a passage of Scripture over in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34. 
Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. To bring America back to God has got to begin with me. And with you. And with us. The church. We've got to make sure that Jesus Christ is enshrined as the Lord and Master of all of our lives. What if I asked you a question this morning? What if I asked you to tell me why you believe in God? How many of you would answer that question or could answer that question? Or how would you answer that question? You see, at first blush, it seems like an easy question to answer. Because numerous books in my library can give me reasons for believing in God. Books that provide arguments for God. And studying those books serves to strengthen my faith. But the reasons of those, for the, of those who have written those books are not necessarily our reasons. Truthfully, I believed in God before I read any of those books. I believed in God before I knew the reasons. After I went to school, I learned that it was necessary for me to breathe. I learned in school that without air, I would die. Before that, I knew it. I just breathed. Now, I'll have to admit, I was extremely fortunate. I was born into a home where prayer was heard regularly. And growing up in a home where prayer was heard regularly, I never questioned whether or not there was a God to hear those prayers. I just accepted it as a fact. I was taken to church regularly. And that's always seemed to be normal and right. Long before I knew how the church came to be, long before I knew the reasons for the church's existence, I felt at home in the church. I'm a Christian. And every day, Bill Gaither's song in our book that some of you realize is probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite songs. The longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. And that's true, folks. The longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. The more that I love Him, more love He bestows. Each day is like heaven, my heart overflows. The longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. The more I learn about Jesus, the more I love Him. The more I learn, the more I praise Him for my salvation. You know, in America, if you go into a court of law, the law says that you are presumed innocent until proven guilty. That's the way it is with my own faith in God. I never said I will not believe until God's existence is proved. 
I believe and I will continue to believe until someone can prove that there is no God. The Bible feels no necessity for proving God. The Bible assumes the existence of God. The very first words in the Bible are, In the beginning, God. And from that point, it goes on to give us a progressive revelation of God. Moses teaches us the laws of God. Amos reveals for us the justice of God. Hosea shows us the love of God. The Psalms lead us to a communion with God. Micah tells us of the ethical standards of God. And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus shows us the Father. He said, Have I been so long time with you, and thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me has seen the Father. It was the night of the Passover. And Jesus ate the Passover. He told him he was going away. And he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Have you ever looked at that passage? Have you ever really looked at that passage in John 14? Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus did not say, If you believe in God. Jesus didn't say you should believe in God. Jesus simply said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you might be also. Our faith in God does not depend on reasons our arguments. God took care of that in our creation. You can call it instinct. You can call it insight. You can call it intuition. You can call it by any name you want to. But whatever you call it, we were born believing. And as we study and learn and live and experience, our belief can be strengthened and it can be enlarged. Or our belief can be perverted and misdirected. And therein, beloved, lies the danger. We do not have to understand God to believe in Him. Truth be told, if we are honest, we understand very few things that we do. Sir Arthur Eddington. Is that name familiar to you? It wasn't me either. He was an English physicist of the early 20th century. And he wrote a book entitled The Nature of the Physical World. The book was written in 1928. Here is a quote from the book that Sir Arthur Eddington wrote. I am standing on the threshold about to enter a room. It is a complicated business. In the first place, I must shove against an atmosphere pressing with a force of 14 pounds on every square inch of my body. I must make sure of landing on a plank 
traveling at 20 miles a second around the sun. And I must do this while hanging from a round planet head outward into space. That's the description of just walking through a doorway if you look at it analytically from the point of view of a physicist. Only a few scientists bother to understand or even care what's involved in the process of walking into the room. The rest of us just open the door and walk in and take it for granted. Most of us do not understand the composition of water, but we drink it. I prefer mine filtered through coffee grounds, but I still drink it. We don't know what electricity is, but we use it. Who understands the process of love? And yet, how many people have sacrificed their lives because of love? To say that I believe in God is more than an intellectual assent to the existence of God. To say that I believe in God is to trust God. It's to commit our lives to His will. And we trust God because we realize and understand our own inadequacies. No person ever really finds God until there is a felt need in their life that only God can feel. We talk sometimes about our duty to go to church. And we sometimes say it's our duty to go to church and it is and yet I would prefer that no one come to church from a sense of duty and only from a sense of duty those folks that gain the most from coming to church are those who come with a sense of need because coming with a sense of need their hearts and their minds are open to the truth of God. Their hearts are open to the presence of God in this room. I want to make a confession. I joke sometimes about the things I can see that standing up here, the little dramas I sometimes see being played out, the dramas I've seen this morning between parents and little children being played out. But I often see people in worship who genuinely inspire me. I see people that are carrying burdens. And I see people that have problems. And I know that for a fact. But having problems and having burdens... They have something else that enables them to sing. And that something else is the presence of God in their lives. And during times of prayer, they pray. But on the other hand, if someone comes to worship without a sense of need, 
they're likely to have a cynical spirit. When someone comes to worship without a sense of need of God in their lives, they walk out and say, well, I wonder where everybody was this morning. Or they walk out and say, well, there sure weren't many here. Or they walk out and they find fault with the building. It sure was cold in there this morning. Oh, it was so hot I nearly suffocated. I've actually seen some that suffocated and froze to death all in the same service. And they look at people around them and they criticize. Can you believe she wore that to church? Oh, he must have combed his hair with an egg beater this morning. They doubt the sincerity of the minister. They think the song leader might be trying to show off a little bit. That person that comes to worship God without a sense of need comes for nothing. And that's what they get. They actually receive nothing. How do we do it? How do we believe in God? There's a plain, straightforward answer over in Mark chapter 9. We devoted an entire lesson to that passage a few weeks ago. Jesus and three disciples had had a mountaintop experience. And right before their very eyes, Jesus had been transfigured. Elijah and Moses had appeared. They had talked together. And it was so wonderful and such a great experience. Peter suggested they just stay there. But Jesus knew there was work to be done down in the valley. And at the foot of the mountain was a father. And he had brought his epileptic son. And he would asked the disciples of Jesus to heal the boy. They couldn't do it. And now the man asked Jesus, Do you remember what Jesus said to him? If thou canst believe, Jesus said, All things are possible to him that believeth in Mark chapter 9 verse 23. You see, there's a lot of folks that want to believe in God, but they find it hard. Faith doesn't just come easy. And this father said to Jesus, Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believes. And he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help me, Lord, to believe more. So I believe in God. God is so great. I can never know everything about Him. But God is so near, I cannot help but know Him. Yesterday, Ryan asked Mason, Mason, what's your memory verse? He said, God is love. That was his memory verse. That's what the Bible tells us about God. God is love. I have loved. I have been loved. Seeing love and feeling love, I have come to believe in love. Believing in love, folks, that's believing in God. A small part of God to be sure, but it's still God. Every day, we can know a little more about God. 
Lord, I believe. Lord, help me believe more. That needs to be the prayer on our lips every day. That needs to be the prayer on our on the lips of every person in America every day. Lord, I believe. Help me to believe more. As we know more and more about God. We become more and more like God and we become more and more the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Doing what we can do in our corner of the world to let our light shine to others and let others see Jesus living in us and lead others to Christ and leading other people to Christ will help bring America back to God. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with living God's kind of life? How are we doing with Jesus Christ being the Lord and Master of our lives? You know, if Jesus isn't Lord of all of our life, He's not Lord at all in our life. Now, maybe you've never made that first step. Maybe you've never in simple trusting faith repented of everything that's sin in your life, confessed the name of Christ, and been baptized for the remission of past sins. I beg you to do that before you leave this building this morning. And then maybe you've done that, but you haven't lived God's kind of life and other folks have seen that. You need to come back home. You need to repent of that, not living God's kind of life, and let brothers and sisters pray with you and for you. I don't know what's going on in your life or your world. I don't know what the needs of your life are. But if there are needs in your life that we can help you with this morning, this is your opportunity to come and let us know what those needs are as together we stand and while we sing.